when I was little, you know, just a little kid, you know, and you're, you're actually learning how to count, you know, I'm like, well, there's the number six, and if you put a number behind it like a two, it's six T two, six is seven, seven T two, that's easy, so it, well, how come it isn't one D two, and two D two, and three D two, you know, and then when I get older, I still question stuff, even today. How come if I want to shut my computer down, I have to click on a start button? I don't get it. So, and there's things I question even today about questions about the Bible. I remember when I first got, when I was first became a Christian, I wondered what an angel was. You know, a little while, a little while later, is this is 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 evolution and Christianity are 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 they are those two concepts compatible? I don't know. You know, questions like. If I become a Christian, do I have to be like those people? Well, you know, questions like that. I've never been able to let that stuff go. And maybe you too, you know. Maybe you struggle with some stuff like I, like I do. or have some questions and some doubts about God and the Bible and stuff like that. Well, particularly about the Bible. You see, Faith Fellowship has a position on the Bible. Let's take a look. The Bible is God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. It is the ultimate source of knowledge about God and the definitive guidebook for daily living. It's on our website. You can go see it. The problem is most people in the United States don't believe that. They don't believe that the Bible is really the word of God. As a matter of fact, 70% of 18 to 25-year-olds disagree with that statement. Well, the thing is, if, if... If you have a brain, if you're a thinking person at all, chances are you've come across some things in the Bible that you have questions about and that you doubt. Well, you might be full of hesitancy and questions in those things. And and I kind of want to talk about those things today. The summary of, you know, what I want to do today is three things. I want to talk about questioning your faith. And I want to give you a little bit of permission. It's okay to question your faith. It's okay to have questions about the Bible. I want to address some of those things that bug me about the Bible as well. And I also want to give you some tools to help you through those sort of things. And the first thing I want to take a look at is doubt versus unbelief. Okay? What's the difference between doubt and unbelief? There's a whole lot of difference between doubt and unbelief. You know, first... Some people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. It's not. Not at all. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. You see, unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief is, is the willful act of choosing not to believe. You know, it's a, in our case, it's a decision to deny that there's a God that there's Jesus. That's the opposite of faith, not doubt. Let me give you a couple of examples of what unbelief looks like, and I'm going to quote that that, uh, late great comedian, guy that I always loved, who happened to be a professed atheist, George Carlin. This is what unbelief sounds like. For those of you that look to the Bible for its literary qualities and moral lessons, I've got a couple other stories I'd like to recommend for you you might enjoy the three little pigs. I've always drawn a great deal of moral comfort from Humpty Dumpty, the part I like best, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's because there is no Humpty Dumpty and there is no God. None, not one, never was no God. See, that is the opposite of faith. You know, and there's a comedian today, Bill Maher, and he's got an HBO special that comes on once a week. When you were a kid and they were telling you whatever you believe in religion, this is Bill Maher talking, do you think if they had switched the fairy tales that they read to you in bed with the Bible, would you know the difference? Why do you believe in one fairy tale and not the other? That is what unbelief looks like. That is the opposite of faith. So, clearly, they don't believe, you know, doubt is different than that. Doubt is being unsure. Doubt is not having all the facts. Um, you're somewhere between certainty and uncertainty. You, you're, you're kind of up in the air on a topic and you have questions about it. 
That's all that doubt is. You know, as a matter of fact, I, w- I would propose that you can have a really strong faith and still have questions and doubts. Absolutely. You know, we need to have questions. We need to get them answers. Okay? All of us struggle with issues regarding faith and doubt and questions. It's, it's actually part of faith. If you ever read the book of Psalms, it's filled with questions of doubt and faith. Let's take a look at Psalm 73. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. This was written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph... He was one, he was the head of one of David's Levitical choirs. It would be like our worship team here really having doubts about his faith. And look what he's talking about there. In vain I have kept my heart pure. He's doubting that there is a God. Why be pure? Why keep myself that way if there's even a God? Huh. He was really struggling with some doubts here. Even King David had times when he doubted love. Here's a few verses from the Psalms. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of groaning? Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? So even David, he had doubts. Even some of the real pillars of the faith Some people think that doubt is kind of unforgivable. You see, when God questions us, when we, excuse me, when we question God, when we have doubts and we have questions about our faith and things of the Bible, God doesn't condemn us. That's not what God's all about. In in Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 9, there was a man who had a son that was demon-possessed, and this demon was going to probably eventually kill him. And he went to Jesus and said, I need need your help. And Jesus said, well, how long has he been like this? And the dad replied this, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. Hmm. Have a look at that. If you can, Jesus said, if I can. See, but if you read that, if you keep reading in this passage, what did Jesus do? He healed the boy. He wouldn't heal. He didn't didn't throw him under the bus, you know, Look what Jesus didn't do here. He didn't say, if I can, what are you, get out of here. Go get some faith. You know, come back later. Go study your Bible, you know. Go say a few prayers and come back. What do you mean, if I can? (laughs) He didn't say, I'm sorry, a miracle can only happen if you have enough faith. No, he didn't say those things. What he did is he went and healed the boy. Didn't throw him under the bus. This guy had some serious doubts. He was telling God incarnate, help me with my doubt. Take a look at Luke chapter 7. This is some of the pillars of our faith. Had doubts as well. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now think about that for a minute. This is John the Baptist sending these guys. You know, this is, this is the guy who pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What he was doing, he was calling him, This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is God incarnate. This is the one. You know, this is John the Baptist who, when he baptized Jesus, 
The Holy Spirit came down in a form of a dove. He was there. The heavens opened up and he heard God's voice audibly saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He witnessed that with his own eyes. And now he's sending these guys out to think, to ask Jesus, are you the one? John was in prison. He must be, what do you think was going through John's mind? Did I get this wrong? I'm in prison. What happened? What's going on here? Did I miss miss this? I better send my boys and find out if I'm right. I could be wrong here. Well, did Jesus think less of John because he came to him? He knows John had doubts. Does he consider him disloyal? Take a look at what happens next in chapter 7. Jesus answers him, Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's telling John, Yeah. Go tell John what's happening here. Yeah, he was right. I'm it. Tell him of all the proof. How did Jesus react after he gave him that? You know, let's, let's take a look at the next scripture. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. That was the next thing he said. Isn't that amazing? You know, after John had all of these doubts, he didn't, he didn't think any less of John. Look at the compliment he paid him. Is there a higher compliment that he could have paid him? You see, in the midst of your doubts and your questions, God still loves you. Doubt isn't unforgivable. And you know what? Okay, so maybe it's not unforgivable, but maybe it's not good for you. So we need to just, just bury those doubts. You know, because they're not, it's not good. Don't talk about those topics. Well, we can't go there. You know, we don't have an answer for that. No, no, no. See, when you have questions like this, they can produce some really great side effects. You know, I would say, see, when you, when, you, when you have questions and you have doubts and you seek answers to them, well, what does that do? It strengthens your faith. Having doubts and questions are part of faith. Why do you think those doubts or questions are there? Is there a chance that maybe God put them there and he wants you to find this out for yourself and he wants you to increase your faith? You see, we get confidence because, you know, in the future, we'll have already dealt with one of these issues that came up. It can actually increase your faith. See, people ask me, where, so where did you study the Bible? <laughs> I usually say something like, on the couch. <laughs> no, I don't have a degree in theology. What I have is curiosity. I've never been able to let questions go. And throughout my life, it's been a process of having these questions and finding an answer that satisfies. I just can't let stuff go. That's been my education. You know, and I, I got to admit to you, I've never been afraid to ask questions. I'm still not afraid to ask questions, even if it means I have to admit I don't know the answer. I ask questions all the time. There's a lot of people I pepper with questions. And you know what? Every time I've asked that question, I've ended up with my faith being stronger. I have a little story that happened to me just a few weeks ago. Um, I was out, I was at a business dinner, it happened to be uh, over on the, in the East Coast. There were about six of us out to dinner. And I, 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 need, I need to tell you that, you know, when I'm at, when I'm at work, um, the folks that I worked with, and I've been there a couple of years, and I've, I've prayed about it, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, how do you, how do you want me to witness to people? You know, I don't want to be those people that, I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, it's like a Bible know-it-all and people start avoiding you and things like that and everything that comes up. Well, God says in the Bible that you shouldn't do that. I don't want to be one of those people. You know what I'm talking about? Well, isn't that special? You know. The young people don't know what I'm talking about, so stop making me feel old. But anyway, I've never wanted to be one of those people. So I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in prayer about that. So anyway, we're out to dinner, and there's, you know, um, there's, there's three of us that work together and three that worked at a, at a different place, and one of the guys starts going off on the Bible saying how ridiculous it is because it was written hundreds of years, 
you know, after the fact, and it's filled with errors and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there, what should I do? What should I do? And all of a sudden, I just, it just rose up inside me to blurt it out. And I said, well, actually, the Bible was written, all, you know, the New Testament was written, the Gospels, before A.D. 90 when the temple was torn down. And actually, the epistles of Paul, particularly 1 Corinthians, which contains the Gospel stories, was written within six years of Jesus' crucifixion. And the guys where I kind of did one of these. Huh? So, yeah, well, I kind of let the guy off the hook after that. But it was, it, was, it was one of those things where I didn't even know I had that in me. So it was just from having questions and having investigated them. And I was, you know, I, I was able to witness in front of people that I work with. On the way home in the car, they asked me, where'd you... Where'd you learn that? And I said, oh, there was this book by this investigative reporter out of Chicago, and I read his book, and it, he was uh, curious after if you know, any of this Jesus stuff would hold up. And I read his book, and I go, well, what was his conclusion? They said, well, according to him, according to the evidence, yeah, it's, it's all true. And, and the next day, I dropped a book off on their chair before they came into work. I was able to witness to him. A week later, I didn't work there anymore. And I because I moved back to St. Louis, yay. But anyway, uh, anyway, isn't isn't God have a sense of humor like that? Unbelievable. But anyway, um, so when we have questions and doubts, they can lead to a deeper faith. And sometimes that's about who you are. And when these opportunities and things come up, you're prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. That's what witnessing is. Just give an answer for the hope that you have. So let's go back to the Bible. How do we know the Bible is reliable? Well, the problem isn't with God. The problem is people just don't know what they believe. You know, they have a really inadequate view of God. Because they just not really got into it a whole lot. And maybe, maybe some of you struggle now and have a lot of doubts and questions. And you know what? That's normal. Those of you who don't have questions now, you will. Eventually, you will. And so what I say, it's like, let's not avoid this stuff. Let's, 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 let's get into this stuff head on. And, and the, the way I want to do it, I have a little acronym that I want to use, FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, just a little memory thing. And the F is for what I just said. Face your doubts. You know, don't sweep them under the rug. Be honest with God. God's not threatened by your questions or your doubts. He really isn't. You know, read the Psalms. Oh, the way David is so honest with God when he's angry, when he's sad, when he's depressed, it's amazing. So be honest with God. You know, besides, if the Bible can't stand up to a little scrutiny, why believe in it, right? <gasps> Not that. Oh, yeah. If the Bible can't hold up, why believe in it? You know what I say? Bring it. If it doesn't hold up, well, then we got bigger problems. That's the F. A is to ask God for help. That means pray. You know, be as honest as the guy with the demon-possessed son. Lord, help me with my unbelief. I've got a question here. Help me with this. You know, he didn't dismiss the guy, he didn't dismiss the guy with the demon-possessed uh, son. He didn't dismiss John the Baptist either. Ask God for answers. James 2 says you don't have because you do not ask. And, you know, we don't think about asking God for help when we have questions about this stuff. We want to kind of hide. No, 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 I really believe in you. You know, a lot of times we don't think to ask God for help with that kind of stuff, for answers and insights and wisdom about this sort of stuff. That's the A, F-A, then I. I is identify your questions, and I mean get specific. If you have questions about the Bible and God, get specific. Write a list, write them down. You know, ask me, ask one of the pastors here. If we don't have an answer right away, we'll get one for you. It's all right. You know, the last couple of Sundays, we gave people cards and we had them out at the information desk and we asked everybody to write down some questions that you have about the Bible and about God. Okay? And I got to say, wow, you guys came up with some humdingers. There were some really good questions in there. And so I promised that if you wrote them down, 
We'd answer a bunch of them. And we're going to do that right now, but I'm going to bring out some help. Would you guys please make welcome uh, Pastor David Blackburn? i got to carry my own chair. What's the deal here? <laughs> no, Kobe asked if I wanted to carry it. I said I did. Well. Hey, did you say that I'm no expert, right? I want them to know that. David's no expert. Amen. They knew that already, I think. You know, last time I was up here and I spoke, I, I had Dave Mitchell up here. So you've you got to be named Dave in order for you to come up. So, so here we go. Well, I tell you what, let's just jump right into it. We picked out, well, I picked out six questions. Some of them were so awesome that I can't get to them because it takes a whole sermon, right? So we picked out six that we could probably answer in 10 minutes or less. And so um, here's the first one, and it's pretty tough, so naturally I'm giving it to Dave. So anyway, uh, here's the first one. Aren't some sins worse than others? Well, I had to do some research. And this is what I have, and uh, trust this will help whoever asks that question. Sin is described in the Old Testament as rebellion against God. In the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, you could find that. In the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 3, it's described as transgression of the law of God. You look at 1 John 5.17, this will hit us all. Because it says, all wrongdoing is sin. And that covers a lot of territory. So although we want to categorize sins, you know, we want to say, well, there's a big sins of murder, rape. There are some small sins, lying, jealousy. In reality, though, each and every sin has a consequence. And that consequence, again, is found in God's Word in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death. So there is a payday. There is eternal separation, spiritual death, eternal separation from God uh, because of our sins. It's going to happen. So all sin, no matter how small we may think it is, uh, violates God's law. And consequently, all sin requires God's just and holy judgment upon it. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. Now that information in and of itself will not help you or will not help me unless we do what we're told in 1 John 1.9. Where John writes, if we confess our sins... So it's conditional. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So are all sins equal in God's eyes? As far as their penalty, yes. As far as God's ability to forgive all sins, yes. Good answer, wasn't it? That was a good one. Next question. I'll take this one. And this is this is deals with a uh, alleged Bible inconsistency. It's it's like the same story is told two different places, but they're different, so they both can't be right. You ever heard you ever heard anything like that? And it comes of a story where a Roman centurion goes to Jesus and says, "You know, I have a I have a servant that's really sick." Can you come help me? And so let me read you the two accounts. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Okay. So the centurion went to Jesus because his servant was suffering terribly. The same story in Luke chapter 7 goes a little different. It says this way. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to, ask, uh, to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. So who went? Was it the centurion or did he send the elders? Well, they can't both be right. Can they or can't they? Well, the answer to that is 
They're both right, and I'll tell you why. It's a cultural thing. Matthew was, kind of, was writing to a different audience than Luke. Matthew was kind of writing to the in crowd where he could use an expression and everybody would kind of get it, what he was talking about, you know? Like when, when I say, hey, you know, um, uh, Jesus didn't throw John the Baptist under the bus. You all knew what I was talking about, didn't you? Well, you know, if I was to say that in a different culture, they would think, well, there were no buses in Jesus' day. Okay, so here's, what, here's what's going on here. Um, in the ancient Near East, um, if a person of authority sent a representative to do something for them, they were given the credit for doing it. Okay, and it was just as if they had done it. In Matthew, in the people that he was writing to, in his own country, they understood what he meant. So he really didn't need to elaborate any further on that. And let me give you a story. In, in, in much the same way, in the deep south where my father is from, they have that same sort of thing. My, my Mimaw uh, had a cook and a housekeeper. And when we ate, she cooked. But I learned at a very young age that I did not go to Lulu and say, that was a wonderful meal. I went to my meme on said it, because if I was to thank the cook and not thank my grandmother, it was the same as insulting her. So although she didn't do it, the, the cultural norm there, and I'm not placing a value judgment on that, but the cultural norm there was to thank the person in authority who at that time was my meme So I would thank Mimo. Okay, Same sort of principle. Now Luke, on the other hand, was he was writing actually to a Roman official, uh, Theophilus. And we know he was a Roman official because he addressed him as uh, the most excellent Theophilus. Okay? And that's the same title that Paul uses to Festus and Felix, and we know those were Roman officials. So this guy was probably a Roman official. And he didn't get it. He wasn't in the in crowd. And plus, Luke was somewhat of a historian and a physician, and he always wrote with more detail. Okay? So those guys were not in the in crowd. So he went into it just a little bit further. So actually, it was a cultural thing. They were writing to two different audiences. So yes, both were correct. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, Number three. This is for you, Dave. Oh, good one. What happens to people that never even had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Do they go to hell? This is a tough question. Um, I think, first of all, we have to understand that all people are accountable to God whether they've never heard about Jesus or not. Whether they're in the Amazon rainforest or whether they live here in Madison County. Now, that seems to run counter to our sense of fairness. But God reminds us in Romans chapter 1 that he's revealed himself in nature to everyone. Paul writes this, They knew the truth about God because he had made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. I'll get this. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So in reality, it's not that some people haven't heard about God. Rather, the problem is that they've rejected what they've heard and what is seen in nature. You go to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 29. It proclaims, but if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, this verse teaches us an important principle that everyone who truly seeks after God will find him. If a person truly desires to know God, no matter who they are, no matter where they live, God will make himself known to them. Because God will use whatever is available 
to reveal himself, whether it's nature, whatever it is, to the heart that truly seeks to know him. But there's a problem in that because Romans 3.11 says there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. See, people reject the knowledge of God that is present in nature and there in their own hearts by way of our conscience. It's unproductive to debate the, quote, fairness of God sending someone to hell who never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ the way we have. I've often thought and had a challenge by a former pastor. He said to me he would rather be someone who lived in the Amazon rainforest who never, in essence, heard about Jesus than someone who lived, let's say, Madison County where there are hundreds of churches, where there's Christian radio, where there are Bibles and Christian TV. The light that we've been given, to much whom much is given, much shall be required. So people are responsible to God for what has been revealed to them about himself. You'll be responsible for what has been revealed to you. And he will judge them. He will judge you and me on the basis of the revelation that he's given to us. We're getting deep here, aren't we? (laughs) It's all good, though. Next question, number four. Uh, This is a a pretty good good question. This one one came from a really really pure heart. If Jesus died on Good Friday and rose on Sunday, isn't that only two days? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hmm, two days. So... Well, again, it's a, it's a bit of a cultural thing. In the ancient Near East, any part of a day was considered a whole day and a night. And, and remember that in the, in, in, the, in the Jewish day, began at sundown as well. So they referred to part of a day as a whole day. You can see it in other parts of the Bible, Genesis 42, where uh, Joseph imprisoned his brothers for three days. It says they imprisoned him for three days, Okay. But it also says on the third day he went and talked to his brothers and released them. So was it three days or wasn't it? Well, was it a literal 72 hours on the nose? No, it wasn't. But it was three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Number five, why are the Gospels considered part of the New Testament? I think what they're asking is, what's it, what's it, what's it, what do they mean, New Testament? New Testament. How many have a Bible at home? Two parts, right? Well, one of the definitions for the word testament is a covenant with God and the human race. And the 66 books in our Bible are divided into those two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the first part which contains all the Jewish scripture. The Jewish Writings, some call it the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but other ways you can look at it as all 39 books of the Old Testament. Those are in the Jewish, quote, writings, what we would consider their Bible. The New Testament is the second part of the Bible, and it comprises the Gospels. Anybody know the Gospels? Matthew? John and Ringo. Oh, wait. (laughs) That's your version, yeah. Uh, Also, the epistles, the letters written uh, to the churches and other individuals, the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. So God had this covenant, and David preached a few months ago a a wonderful message on covenant. And the covenant meant agreement or contract. Many of us have entered into contracts with banks, other people, employers. So it's not a, a, a hard word to understand. God had an agreement, a contract that was described in the Old Testament. And those 39 books of the Old Testament or the Old Agreement or the Old Covenant describe God's special relationship with one group of people, the Hebrew people who became the Israel nation. And God promised a Messiah, a Savior, that would come through those people, through the Israelites, 
down through the history. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not Ringo, they're the new covenant. The Fab Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're the new agreement, yeah. But just remember, the Old Agreement, the Old Testament, the New Agreement, the New Testament, and the New Testament brings about the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament said was going to take place in relationship to that Savior, that Messiah, Jesus. His birth, His teaching, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the Father. So now we have a new and final agreement. There will be no other agreement. It's a final agreement by God to those who choose to believe Him. And you find that in the New Testament. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, begin to read, I always recommend, the book of John. Read the book of John. We've got time for one more. I'm going to do one more. Uh, another good question. Uh, what does the Bible say are acceptable types of music? And I can understand why somebody would ask that about our church. Um, Is that where the Ringo comes in? That's where the Ringo, yeah, okay. Drums and guitars in a church? <gasps> uh, there's really no evidence in the Bible that says that any kind of rhythm is inherently evil. Let me just say that right now. There's no such thing as an evil rhythm or a musical instrument. Um, you know, even, even our most loved hymns, um, traditional hymns, some of those at one time were bar tunes with the words changed. You ever heard of this, this hymn? We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. The original words to that? I once knew a girl and her name was Matilda. And I can't sing the rest of the lyrics to you. So I would, I would contest that it's not about the musical style or type. It's about the lyrics. It's about your heart as well. There's a couple of scriptures I came up with to defend that. One is uh, in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Hmm. As you teach and admonish one another with, among other things, your psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there really needs to be some teaching involved with what we sing. And a lot of the songs that we sing are simply the scriptures set to music. You know, as you're reading, you might come across something like that. You know, even... even um, uh, we, we also sing some of the old hymns. Some of the old hymns were great for teaching. Um, you know, even doctrinal formation can be found in, in some of our hymns, and we sing some of those. We put a contemporary spin on them musically, but we do, we do sing some of those. So is there any particular style of music that is um, advised in the Bible? No. It's about your heart, and it's about the lyrics. That's about all the time we're going to have to, to answer some of these tough questions that you came up with. And I, I want to thank Dave for coming out here and helping me out. Let's say thanks to Dave, can we? If you don't know Dave, if you, if you haven't really met Dave or spent any time with him, guys, he's the real deal. There is a man that loves his family, loves the Lord, has helped me and counseled me, and I, I just... I can't get enough of Dave, and I just want to say that about him. He's one of our pastors. Um, so we're going through this. We're going through this faith thing, and that was the that was the I for identify. Identify your questions because you know seek the answers. T. Take responsibility for your spiritual health. You know th th there are people that hop from church to church, and what I hear so many times is, you know, I just wasn't being fed. Being fed. Maybe the problem is you're not eating, you know, spiritual food, you know. Don't just listen to people talk about me. Uh, talk about me. Don't just listen to people talk about God. <laughs> Lord, I apologize for that. <laughs> 
Don't just listen to people like me talk about the Bible. If this is all you're getting, you need a whole lot more than that. You need to learn to access the Word of God for yourself so you can strengthen your faith. Answer these questions. You know, and as you grow in an understanding of God, your spiritual health gets stronger and stronger. You know, also another thing is hang out with people who are mature in the Lord. That, you know, guys like Dave, you know, some of the other, some of the other folks around here that are deep in their faith. And you know what? That's why small groups are so important. And I know we, we, we hit you with that a lot. I don't think there's a Sunday that goes by that says you need to be in a small group. If you're in a small group, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. You guys are great. If you're not in a small group, there's small groups that are meeting now. Uh, we have information about them at the information desk. It's just a way to get to meet other Christians who are trying to answer some of these questions. You know, small groups are a safe place where you can lay your questions bare and say, you know, I don't understand this. It's a safe place to do that. You know, James 5.16 says that we should admit our struggles to one another because that's where the healing takes place. In James chapter 5. And let me announce that we are going to start a new group this fall that's going to you know, deal specifically with some of these tough questions. It's really going to be focused on studying the Bible. And it's going to be led by uh, Brad and Jennifer. Um, uh, you might recognize Jennifer. She plays the violin for us. Um, Brad is usually up in the booth somewhere. So you can see them after the service and, you know, they'll probably be hanging out front. You can say hi to them. But we're going to start a new group this this fall. So no more excuses. <laughs> okay. And finally, the H in faith. And this is w- one of the most important ones. It's habitually read and study your Bible. And I want to very quickly go through and I want to give Dave's top 10 tips for reading your Bible. Okay, we're going to go through these really good, really quickly. Number one, my first tip is get one. Okay, you got to have one. Which one? There's so many translations. If you go into a Bible bookstore, Barnes and Noble or something like that, get one that's in an English that you can read. You know, I particularly like the New International Version or the NIV is what it's called. Um, It doesn't leave anything out. And it's written in today's English. I like it very much. If it's, a, if it's a study Bible that's got little notes in it to help you, even all the better. Uh, number two, start with Jesus. Okay? Dave already said it. Start with the book of John. Okay? Start with the gospel of John. Start, start with the New Testament. Okay? So we can l- learn more about that. If, if, if you don't like John, you can try Mark. I like Mark too. Mark is action-packed and it's the shortest of all the Gospels, so you'll get through it quick. So that's important to me. Quick. Okay. Three. Routine is your friend. You know, a consistent time, a consistent space. You do it every week, every week, every week. What I do, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a morning person until after I've taken a shower. So I can't get up and do it first thing in the morning doesn't work. I won't do it. I'll sleep the extra 15 minutes. So what I do is I get up, I get on my, on with my day, get showered, get dressed. The last thing I do before I leave in the morning is I sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and I read the Bible and pray. Okay. That just, that just works for me. You got to do what works for you. And that's what number four is be you. If you're not a morning person, don't do it in the morning. Give God, you know, your best 15 minutes. If you're an afternoon person or a night person, do it then. Otherwise, it won't work. Don't try to be something you're not. Be you. Number five, have a plan. Not the flip and point plan where you flip your Bible open, point, read the scripture, and you're done. It won't work. I've tried that. First time I tried it, I flipped and point, and the scripture was Judas hung himself. I flipped again. It said, therefore, go and do likewise. Flipping point doesn't work, folks. Have a plan. There's all kinds of plans you can have. We've got one out at the information desk. Faith Fellowship has a Bible plan that you can read. It'll take you through the Bible in a whole year. It's easy to do. What my plan is, I have my own little plan. I read out of the New Testament a little bit, and I read out of the Old Testament a little bit every morning. You know how the, it's, I'm not talking about chapters, but the Bible has little sections with a title at the top of the section. The title's not part of the scriptures, but it has a little title. 
I read one of those in the New Testament and one of those in the Old Testament. I start at the beginning of the New Testament and the beginning of the Old Testament. That's Matthew and Genesis, and I start reading. So I'll go through the New Testament, which is shorter, a few times before I'm done with the Old Testament. That works for me. It's simple. I don't have to think about it a whole lot. And if anybody that knows me, that the less I think, the better it is. Anyway. Okay, number six. Use soap. And I don't mean you smell bad. Okay, this is an acronym. Boy, I thought that was going to get the biggest laugh today. Use soap. Use soap. Soap is an acronym. Is an acronym. Uh, uh, scripture, observation, uh, application, and prayer. Scripture means read a little bit. Of, read a little bit of scripture like that, and then observation is. Take a look at that. What does it mean? You've read through it a couple of times. Is there anything I don't understand? Is there anything that jumps off the page at me? Oh, that's good. I'm going to remember that. Write down those observations, which leads you to your application. For me, the application is what can I pray about that morning that applies to my life? Okay? If, it, if I'm reading through Job, you know, and Job is lamenting, I'm either lamenting with Job, Lord, I'm in a bad place, and I've been there. Or, Lord, thank you, I'm not in a bad place. You know, that's, that's where the application comes from me. And that's where the P in soap, maybe I should rephrase that. But anyway, <laughs> prayer, that's where the prayer comes in. You pray, you know, every morning about the scripture you read as well as the other things that are going on in your life. Uh, number seven, journals are good. Write down your questions, your prayers, your thoughts. This becomes a really amazing tool because you can flip through it you can go to the beginning again and read, oh, wow, that prayer was answered. Isn't that cool? This is where I was six months ago, and look where I am now. You know, it becomes a very good thing. Um, and it also helps you to remember stuff to pray about as well. And, and speaking of prayer, I, I say sometimes read prayerfully. In other words, pray as you read. You know, I remember, some of you don't know this about me, but for the last couple of years, I've been commuting back and forth from Kansas City, and I had a little apartment in Kansas City, and, you know, for about the whole time, two years, you know, um, I've been wondering, God, what are you doing? And there were times where I wasn't in a real good place about that, and I prayed through the Psalms, and it was so good because, you know, there were times when David cried out in despair, and as he's crying out, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? I've prayed that, Lord, where are you? It was really good if you pray the scripture, say the things that they're saying, and address God with those things. Boy, that's really good. That's a really sweet time, too. But um, even though you're reading prayerfully, i got to come up with the next one. Number nine, emotions lie. Sometimes it's going to be a very, very sweet time with God. You're going to enjoy it and say, oh, was that great? I'm refreshed and able to spend the day. Other times it's, man, was that pitiful. That was awful. I didn't get anything out of that. I'm bored. I'm just going to flip through this as fast as I can. Most of the time it's going to be somewhere in the middle. But know that the word is powerful and it is changing you. Stay with it. Emotions lie. Number 10, the last one, use resources. I do this all the time, particularly when I'm studying, when I'm studying the Bible. Um, if you could put the next screen up. I've got some resources that I want to share with you. Bibles, like I said, get a study Bible. There's those daily Bibles that'll take you through the Bible in a year or whatever, and they break it down into little daily increments. And there's one that I really like. It's called the Barclay Commentaries. And what it does, it, it takes the entire New Testament, you read a little bit of Scripture, and then one of the you know, geniuses of the Christian faith in the 20th century, uh, William Barclay, he gives you just you know, two, three pages, a little snippet, of teaching for that day and breaks down the Bible really great. I really love that one. Uh, books about some of these tough questions. Answers to Tough Questions by Josh McDowell. The Bible Answer Book by Hank Hanegraaff and uh, Christianity 101 by uh, Gilbert Belazikian. Um, all three of those are really excellent books and s- some of the stuff that we used here to come up with some of the answers. Uh, on these uh, some websites, I'm really hesitant to recommend website because there's so much garbage out there. But here's three, okay? Uh, Equip.org, apologeticpress.org, and one that Dave Blackburn uh, got me to look at, which is terrific, gotquestions.org. 
So those are a bunch of tools that you can use if you want. If you need those repeated uh, simulator, and I'll, I'll get to it, just, just, uh, just ask me. I've, I've got them up here. And, and I, and I want to end by, by saying this. You know, some of these questions that we have, we have to admit that we are limited human beings. We are not omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent like God, and he's unlimited. So some of these questions are going to have to wait until we see God and we meet him face to face. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely, completely. You see, that's when we can ask those questions like, you know that Trinity thing? Lord, can you explain to me how that, how that works? You know? What about free will and predestination? How do, how do those two work together? And, and big questions like, how many chucks can a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could? Yeah, never mind. Um, what I want to get across to you is you don't have to be embarrassed about questions here. You know, this is, a, this is a safe place. You can ask questions. See, we want you to have a faith that's stronger than the faith you started with, and you can get that by answering questions. And I know what your biggest question right now is. Is Dave ever going to shut up so we can get out of here? <laughs> okay. Well, the answer to the question is, is yes. Go ahead. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we come to before you now, and all of us are full of questions for you, Lord. There's so, there so much on our heart that, that, that we don't understand, but we still believe, Lord. You know, we may have doubts. We may have questions, Father. But you have answers. You are the God of answers. And, Father, I ask that you would start now to begin to build our faith in us as we seek answers from you as we seek answers to get to know you better and who you are and become more and more like you and our lives get changed and our faith gets stronger every day. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.